Well, good morning, Willingdon Church, and Happy New Year. What an exciting way to kick off 2020. Baptisms, baby dedications, and now I have the privilege to be sharing with God's Word uh, with you today. My name is Jordan, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And if you were here last week, then you would have heard Pastor Willie kick off our two-week sermon series on the Lord's Prayer called Chasing God's Heart. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it online because he gave a really important message to help teach on the first half of the Lord's Prayer. And now today, I'll be closing our two-week series on the second half of the Lord's Prayer. But I want to start today a little differently. I actually want to ask that we all stand to our feet and read aloud the Lord's Prayer together. So it'll just be up on the screen behind me, and we will do our best to read it all at the same time. So let's see how we do. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Great job, everybody. That was fantastic. So before we actually get into the text itself for today, I wanted to start by laying a bit of a foundation or a framework of how we can be approaching the Lord's Prayer. So for starters, we see that Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. And this is exactly what Jesus gave them, 66 carefully chosen words. He didn't give them a long theological treatise on what prayer is. He didn't give them a textbook or a five-week teaching series. He gave them a short recipe for prayer that we can now follow as Christians 2,000 years later. Secondly, this prayer is not simply a random collection of Jesus' best thoughts or ideas, but it's actually a very intentional kingdom-focused prayer, and it's a fusion of Jewish prayer ideas that God had given to his people. So Jesus didn't just whip this out of nothing, but instead he's following in the tradition of what prayers God gave his people for centuries before Jesus came to earth. Thirdly, this prayer summarizes and pulls together all that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. For instance, when we pray for our daily bread, we can think of Jesus breaking bread with sinners and tax collectors, showing them that God could indeed forgive their sins. Or we think about Jesus feeding the 4,000, giving them their daily bread out of compassion and provision, but he just gave them bread for that one day. When we pray for our debts to be forgiven, we're also reminded about how Jesus went around during his earthly ministry, assuring people that God could forgive their sins. The prayer of deliverance is similar to what Jesus prayed in the wilderness when he prayed for the devil to flee from him, or in Gethsemane when he asked his father to take this cup from him so that he may be delivered from that hour. When we pray for the kingdom and the power and the glory of God, we are pointed to the cross where Jesus died, his resurrection, and his ascension to the throne of God in heaven, where he's king forevermore. 
By praying the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded of all that Jesus did during his ministry, and then we are propelled ourselves to carry on Jesus' ministry through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So with that bit of a framework, let's get into the text itself. The first line that I'll be tackling today is, give us this day our daily bread. Now this prayer request lies at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. God already knows that we need bread before we ask. And he's so gracious that he often gives it to us without even asking. But God also knows that we are prone to wander and forget about him. So by asking for daily bread, we are brought back into God's presence every day. And it teaches us to live a life of dependence on God. An example of this in my life that I can remember is about five years ago when God called me into ministry. At the time, I was pursuing a career in real estate, which seemed quite lucrative, and then God switched things up and called me into ministry, and I won't say anything about that. But when I went into ministry, I said yes, but I had a couple conditions. I said, God, if I'm going to do this and give up real estate for ministry, then I want you to provide for me. I said, God, I want to graduate debt-free and I don't want to work a single day during the school year so I can focus on volunteering at the church and so I could focus on my studies and not have to balance work and school. And I figured this would be easy for God to answer because my parents paid for the first year that I did Bible college, so coming back, I just assumed they'd pay for the rest of the years. So I was like, okay, God, you just have to provide some living expenses. This will be an easy prayer for you to answer. So eventually it came time for tuition to be paid, and my mom went to go check in our scholarship fund that they had for me, and she came back to me and she said, Jordan... I know we paid for your first year of tuition, but unfortunately, there's only $1,500 left. So you're going to have to find your own way to pay it. And I was like, $1,500? I thought there'd be $30,000. Like, that's a huge jump. So in a moment of panic, I grabbed my mom and I said, Mom, let's pray for God to multiply this money. She's like, I have a crazy son. Okay. So we prayed a 10-second prayer and I left it at that. And I waited on the Lord. And I procrastinated as a young millennial, more so actually the truth. A few days passed, and my mom comes up to me, big smile on her face. She says, Jordan, you're not going to believe it. The scholarship fund called, and they made a mistake. There's actually more money than they thought. There's $2,500, not $1,500. And I was like, awesome, thanks, mom. Like, thank you, Jesus. But that's still only a quarter of what I need for this one year, let alone all three. So I just procrastinated some more and waited on the Lord. A few more days go by. My mom comes up to me again, even bigger smile on her face. She says, Jordan, you're not going to believe it. I called to get your money taken out, and they found even more money that they didn't realize was there. So you don't just get $2,500, you get four payments of $2,500. I went right up into my room, fell on my face, and worshiped God. And I said, God, you are faithful to give me my daily bread. Now, that was a huge blessing. I mean, 1,500 to 10,000, that's a big jump. But it wasn't the full 30,000. I still needed a lot more. But God provided enough for that one year, and he kept me depending on him every year to provide. And I can say now safely on the other side of Bible college that God indeed did provide miraculously. I didn't have to work a single day during the school year, and I was able to graduate debt-free. 
So God is good for his promises. You can trust him for your daily bread. So here's a couple things that we see in this petition for daily bread. First, the frequency of this prayer is constant. It's daily. Now, the frequency of this prayer, it implies a certain intimacy with God. I mean, how delightful it is that God wants to spend time with us. He knows how needy we are. Our lives are like an ice cube and God sees right through it. Yet instead of giving us something that will just cover all our needs forever, he wants us to come to him for daily bread. Think about it this way. God, who's all-powerful, can do anything, chose to hand-deliver us personally a loaf of bread every single day when he could have given us a gift card for a million dollars to Superstore. Now, I'd prefer Save-On because Superstore at Metrotown is way too busy. Anyone from South Burnaby can give an amen to that. (laughs) But that's besides the point, of course. God wants us to spend time in his presence every single day. And I'm convinced that quality time is one of God's top love languages. The subject of this request is basic. Bread is one of the most basic foods that sustains human life. Jesus did not lead us in this prayer to ask for our daily caviar or daily filet mignon or daily kale smoothies. As a West Coast hippie, I would love that. But he's intentionally basic in his request. I think sometimes we might have lost sight of the discipline of simplicity because we're in an affluent society and we have access to so many extravagant things. But Jesus here is so simple and basic, teaching us gratitude at its deepest level as we thank God for daily bread. Now, daily bread is also symbolic of other things that sustain our lives. We're not just restricted to praying for bread alone. We can also be praying for our immune systems. We can be praying for our emotional health, our relationships. The ability to afford the cost of living in Metro Vancouver. Can I get an amen? Amen. But there's also another dimension to the daily bread that goes beyond our physical needs. Jesus himself is the bread of life. We need Jesus every single day to sustain us. That is actually our greatest, most basic need. By praying for daily bread, we are reminded and invigorated to cry out for the life-giving, empowering, comforting presence of the Spirit of Jesus every single day. By praying for daily bread, we are reminded of the new life that we have been given because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. By praying for daily bread, we confess that apart from him, we can do nothing because he is the spiritual bread that sustains our lives every single day. So may we be brought into an ever more vibrant relationship with God as we chase after his heart, praying for the bread of life every single day. The next line that Jesus gives us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus, in his arrival to earth, established a new family. This is the family of God's people that extends an invitation to every person, regardless of their ethnic background or their religious affiliation, that they can come to Jesus believing that he is the only way to knowing the one true God and thereby receiving eternal life. 
Jesus wants his people to be a family of forgiveness. If you wanted forgiveness in the first century Jewish world that Jesus entered into, you'd have to go to the temple every time you sinned to offer a new sacrifice to receive that forgiveness. But Jesus came and shed his new covenant blood to be the once for all forgiveness that we actually needed. Jesus restores us in relationship with God by forgiving our sins completely. And this didn't come out of nowhere. This has deep roots in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the supreme blessing of the new age of God's people. God's new covenant of forgiveness. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus went around assuring people that they could receive that forgiveness. But Jesus is also advocating that we forgive people of their debts, not ensuring that we fulfill all the debts. And why would he expect that from us? I mean, forgiving people of their debts is super inconvenient. I think the answer lies in the first half of this prayer when we say, forgive us our debts. We are reminded that God, through Jesus, forgave us of the greatest outstanding debt we ever had, which gives us the strength then to forgive others of any debts held against us. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, Jesus announced that his ministry would bring about the year of Jubilee. This was a year that God prescribed in the Old Covenant, whereby God's people would all be set free from their debts. Their record would be wiped clean, and they would start from a blank slate. Any one of you here who has been in great debt, or maybe currently is, you would know what a sense of relief that would be if overnight, The year of Jubilee has come and all of a sudden you don't owe anything. No matter how much debt you incurred, God allowed it to be wiped off the record. Well, Jesus on the cross did do that. And he wiped off the record of our sin so that we could be coming towards God in holiness and the righteousness of Christ. Practically speaking, though, this prayer doesn't only refer to forgiving people when they sin against us but it also means releasing them from financial obligations. We don't just love people with warm smiles and handshakes and kind words. We help them get out of debt. So for you, that might mean forgiving someone of the money that they owe you. It might mean giving someone money to pay off a debt that they otherwise could not afford. Maybe God has given you wisdom with how to manage money and you could be teaching people how to live a life that is debt-free. Whatever resources we have access to, this part of the prayer calls us to help people get free from debt. Now, this is a difficult teaching. I understand that. It takes a lot of wisdom because a common objection is, okay, if I help someone get free from debt, what's to say that they're not just going to go back into debt and what a waste of money that would have been? And fair point. But then I'm also reminded too of how God 
sent his only son Jesus to come and die, taking upon the weight of our sins, bearing our punishment. And when we first accepted that forgiveness of our sins, wiping the debt of sin away, did you sin again? Don't think too long, because the answer is yes. We all do, and we will continue to until the day we die. But God knew that, and he still chose to forgive us past, present, and future. And if we are trying to chase God's heart and to become like him, then it's almost as if we don't have a leg to stand on to say, I can't forgive them of their debt because they might go back into it. I don't know what the answer is, but I'll let you wrestle with God in prayer about that. Moving on. God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is all about forgiveness in all of its forms. The next line in the prayer Jesus gives us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. By praying against temptation and praying for deliverance from evil, it indicates that there is a battle. The first of this twofold prayer request talks about protection in warfare. And the second talks about warfare against the enemy. Now the first, we need prayer for protection in warfare. Left to our own devices, we can often flirt with temptation You know, maybe dip our baby toe into a little sin, a little white lie. And sometimes we just dive right into the deep end of depraved living. I know I have done all of these. But when we pray to not be led into temptation, we are acknowledging that our inclinations are not always towards righteous living. And we actually need God to protect our minds and our hearts and our souls as we go into fight battles every single day with temptation. In this prayer, we surrender our sinful longings and we ask God to correct the desires of our hearts so that we can live in a way that honors him and benefits the world around us. Secondly, we need prayer for warfare against the enemy. As followers of Christ, we are not ignorant to the spiritual realities of this life. The Bible tells us that there is an enemy named Satan, and he has a host of servants, fallen angels that are called demons, and they are regularly interfering with our lives with the ultimate goal of trying to bring death to God's creation, especially God's children. When you first make your decision to pledge allegiance to King Jesus, you are invariably declaring all-out warfare against the kingdom of darkness the evil spirits, forces, and principalities that exist all around us. And this part of the Lord's Prayer is a powerful stand against the enemy and all of his schemes. We don't need to be afraid of the enemy, though, and we don't need to be afraid of death and darkness because Jesus defeated it already on the cross. And more than that, he has given us authority over every spirit, And we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God whose power is at work in and through us. Now, this part of the prayer can also be a little bit confusing because Jesus here is teaching us to pray for God to not lead us into temptation. But in James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So if God does not tempt us, then why do we need to pray for him to not lead us into temptation? It seems kind of redundant. 
Well, in the original language that the Bible was written in, the word used here for temptation can also be translated as a great trial or a test. And this prayer becomes reminiscent of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane that God would deliver him from the greatest trial that anyone could ever face, bearing the weight of our sins and the punishment that they deserved. Jesus was so racked with anxiety during this time that he was literally sweating drops of blood as he anticipated the great trial that he would be going into. But we can actually thank God because God led his only son Jesus into that great trial so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus went through that trial in our place, bearing a punishment that he didn't deserve. That being said, although God spared us of that great trial, we will still all face various trials in our lives. But we can take heart because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So we will be tested, even to the point where we feel that we are about to break. But we pray, God, do not let us break. There will be times where you feel like you will be crushed to pieces, but somehow we are still here. We will face physical oppression, anxiety, depression, fierce temptation to sin that we think we have no chance to overcome. And I can understand these struggles to an extent. Um, A few years ago, I experienced a, a time of crippling anxiety, bouts of depression, daily panic attacks, and for a long period, there are multiple panic attacks every single day. What had happened was I had burned myself out in ministry and in school because I had these deep-rooted insecurities, fears of insignificance that drove me to a really unhealthy place, taking on way more than I could handle. Basically, my brain said, enough, and my mental health completely shut down on me. And after a couple of years of being in this time, I began to fear that I would never recover. I actually thought I might have to move back with my parents and live as a dependent for the rest of my life because I couldn't hold a regular job, let alone do ministry. But now, as you can see, hopefully, God has restored me greatly. And I can actually look back and be thankful for that time because God was able to bring deep brokenness to the surface that needed to be addressed and it needed to be healed or else it could cause way greater damage in the future. The last line of this prayer that we have is a doxology to close it. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In this closing declaration of our faith, we reaffirm our commitment to God's kingdom, and we declare that our lives need to be oriented around building and advancing God's kingdom not our own. Now, the world defines kingdom and power and glory as dominating other people and asserting yourself as more important than others. We just need to look around at corrupt government officials and media moguls that are always trying to assert themselves and make it known how important they are and how powerful they are, taking from others for their own gain. And they are the ones that climb to the top somehow. 
But this prayer reminds us that we actually serve the true king and the way of Jesus is subversive. His kingship came by serving other people, by washing the feet of his disciples. He became king by laying down his life for a people who betrayed him. That is the king that we get to serve. And to close the Lord's Prayer, we declare the kingdom and the power and the glory of King Jesus to come through the powerful and energizing presence of the Holy Spirit as we pray. Now, before we go into a time of communion, I want to leave you all with one encouragement and one next step as we go from here. I remember some years ago, I had just started attending a new church and I got introduced to these young guys who really loved to pray. And I mean like really loved it. Like an eight-hour prayer session was fun for them. So these guys invited me to come and join them Saturday morning to pray from 6 to 8 a.m. And I was like, obviously, that's what every young guy in his 20s wants to do. Wake up on the only day he can sleep in and pray for two hours. So it was one part pride and one part people-pleasing that allowed me to go join them. So as I approached this first Saturday, I was really nervous because I had never prayed for two hours straight. I think 10 minutes was like the max at that point in my life. But I had a strategy. I would make sure to not look at my watch because when you're waiting for time to pass, checking the time is the worst thing you can do. And I would just really focus on praying and I'd get so lost in prayer and close to Jesus that the two hours would be over before I knew it. Great plan. So we go into it and we start praying and, and just really praying up a storm and, you know, keep going and time's passing. And I'm like, okay, we've been going for a while now. Like, actually, I think the two hours is probably over and they just didn't realize it. So I checked my watch just to be sure. It had been five minutes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, time to re-strategize, re-evaluate. Okay, I'm gonna pray for everything that I know. Any person I can remember, I will pray for them. And before I know it, the two hours will be over. So I start going, started praying for people that I hadn't seen since high school, hadn't seen them in years. And once I had exhausted everything, I was like, I, I prayed for it all. Seven more minutes had passed. So then I started praying, Lord, please make this prayer session end because it's so long and boring and I'm not enjoying myself. Well, eventually it did end and I was completely deflated. I regretted ever showing up, but these guys invited me to come next Saturday. And I had a spiritual reputation to upkeep. I mean, I was a leader in the church. So I said yes and joined them the next Saturday and safe to say it was just as bad as the first Saturday. Now here's the beautiful thing. As these guys kept on drawing me into their prayer meetings time and time again, and my pride did not let me say no, over the course of months and even a couple years, I was able to pray with them for the full two hours without looking at my watch. Why? Because our prayer lives need to be nurtured. Our prayer lives need to be practiced and developed. Our prayer lives need to be taught. Prayer is like a muscle that we work out. And over time, it gets stronger and our endurance increases. And we become more comfortable in prayer and we grow in intimacy with God. So here's my encouragement. Developing a stronger prayer life takes time. It takes consistency. But if you start small, 
you can get there. If all you can handle right now is five minutes, awesome. Hit those five minutes every single day and watch. Over time, it'll become so much easier and you will really begin to mine the depths of what God has for you in prayer. And the Lord's prayer that we're given here is a great place to start. It's short, it's powerful, it's right to the point, and it can even lead us into more elaborate, extended times of prayer as we unpack the significance of each statement that Jesus gives us. So that's my encouragement, and here's the next step that I have for you. Some of the content that both Pastor Willie and myself have been preaching on was taken from a prayer training course that we're offering here at Willingdon. So the information will be up behind me on a slide, but basically for the next three Saturdays, we are offering this prayer training course. It's a four-hour course, so you only have to come to one Saturday, and it will be a huge benefit to your personal prayer life, to helping you grow in intimacy with God, and also your effectiveness in praying for others. Beyond that, it's also the training that we require to serve on our prayer ministry teams. Now, you might have heard this once or twice, but it is God's heart for our church that we become a house of prayer for all nations, and we want to be really intentional in stepping into that. And what a better way to start 2020 than investing in your prayer life. And we want to see more people serving in our prayer ministries. We want to see people praying in the prayer center, more volunteers getting trained up, more people praying at the front and in the balconies during services, because there's more needs than what the pastors and elders of this church can handle. And so we want to see those of you who God is calling, if you feel that nudge, please send me an email, RSVP. We want to get numbers for our upcoming prayer training sessions so we can have the right amount of coffee and tea and water. No food because we're fasting because that's spiritual. Four-hour fast, I think you can handle it. But that's my invitation to you all, and I hope to see you there. With that being said, let's now move into a time of communion. So I'd like to call the ushers forward who are going to be helping with that. As we pray, give us our daily bread, we are pointed back to the cross. Jesus is the bread of life. And by giving us our daily bread, he declares, child, your sins are forgiven. He removes our shame and allows for us to be adopted as children of God. As we pray, forgive us our debts, we are pointed back to the cross. Jesus forgave the greatest outstanding debt that we ever had. He removes our guilt. We can now receive the righteousness of Christ instead of our sin. As we pray, deliver us from the evil one. We are pointed back to the cross. Jesus delivered us from the evil one through his death on the cross. He removes our fear. The enemy and the forces of darkness no longer have any power over us because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are naturally drawn into a time of communion as we once again return to the foot of the cross and look with awe and wonder at the great thing that our Lord Jesus did for us. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross that we can pray the Lord's Prayer with boldness and confidence. On the night of his crucifixion, Jesus had one last Passover meal with his disciples. Through this meal, he announced the inauguration of the new covenant of God's forgiveness. 
It was established through the breaking of his body for us and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So now we can be reconciled to God and to one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now it's our tradition at Willingdon Church that we take the bread and the cup together. So I ask as you receive the element, just hold on to it until we're all directed to take it at the same time. And if you're here today and you don't consider Jesus your Lord or your Savior, you don't believe in him, you don't really know who he is, that's totally okay. We are glad that you're here. And as these things pass by, just let them pass by. It doesn't make sense to take them if you haven't received what Jesus did. But if God has been stirring in your heart and you actually want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior as you hear of what he's done for you, then please do take communion. And talk to whoever brought you or myself or any of our pastors or volunteers and we would be honored to help you begin this new journey of following Jesus. With that being said, let's take a minute to reflect on the great thing that Jesus did on the cross and if any sin comes to mind that you need to deal with, now's a great time to do that as well.